0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. As Elise said, my name is John Robinson. I serve as one of the pastors here at Liberty. Uh, It's a joy to be with you. Again, I hope you have... um, Felt welcomed, but again, let me welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Um, I'm encouraged that you're here even with us on this particular morning, especially if you have found yourself um, maybe experiencing some weariness, some anxiousness, some longing, or or wondering where God is. You see, we're spending some time this summer in the book of Psalms. Uh, The book of Psalms is is a wonderful book in the Bible that is filled with songs and prayers offered to God that, that span really this great spectrum of the human experience. This morning we're going to be reading from Psalm 42 and 43, which in those black hardback Bibles is page 469 if you want to turn there now. Uh, this psalm both seeks to speaks to and instructs the downcast soul to hope. So if you find yourself, again, weary or burdened, Or experiencing the dark night of the soul. Take heart, dear friend, and hear these words. Turn with me now to this book that we love. Psalm chapter forty two, beginning in verse one. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from Himron and from Mount Mazir. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, My rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down? O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Chapter 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, lover of your people, mender of broken hearts, our wellspring of living water, our shield, our refuge. Speak now from your word the very words of life. Open our ears to hear. Open our eyes to see. Open our hands to receive from you the very bread of life for our hungry souls. Amen. Historically speaking, Psalm 42 and 43 um, have been considered to be one psalm. Uh, together. You see, uh, chapters and verses were not added to the Bible until 1227 AD, and then about 200 years later is when they actually started divvying out the verses. So chapters came first and then verses. Um, And so this psalm historically has been seen as one psalm. You'll see a repeated refrain at the end of each stanza or each uh, verse. This psalm identifies itself as as a maskill, a a song of instruction that would be sung to instruct people on who God is. It would be sung to teach people about God. It was written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a group uh, of men installed by King David to write songs. They were incredible songwriters and musicians. If they were alive today, they would live in Nashville. They would wear skinny jeans and drink craft beer all while wearing glasses that really don't help them, but just for style. These writers, though, expressed something that is very true and very relevant for us. They're expressing a soul longing, longing for this distance, this chasm between the the psalmist and God to be shrunken down. There's this this longing that they experience. We don't know if this was David who was recounting these things to the sons of Korah, or if this was one of the sons of Korah um, recounting their own experience. But it's interesting to note throughout this that there is no sin being brought up. There's no sin being brought up that would cause this this division, this chasm between God and man. You see, sin does cause a chasm between God and man. It happens, we see this even uh, in later Psalms, in Psalm 51, where the psalmist is saying, my sin is ever before me. But here in these two chapters, sin of the psalmist is missing. And that's important to note because, as we'll find out as we continue on in our time, this distance may not be something that is caused by by the individual, but it may be just present in the, the individual's life. You see, we always, though, as human beings, want to find a reason why something is broken. Men do this especially. We always want to figure out why something is broken and then fix it if it's not fixed, we can't sleep. And if we can't sleep, we get grumpy. And if we're grumpy, everything else falls apart. So fix the problem, right? And we try to find out why this is the reason. Uh, if, you, if you lean more towards being like a moralistic, and a moralistic approach, um, you'll look at this feeling, this, this distance between you and God, and uh, it might mean to you that there's, that there's something wrong with you. You must be better. Or maybe you lean more legalistic and, and you would say that it's these, this feeling and not feeling God's present is, is, is a problem and so uh, you need to obey better, you need to do better, you need to try harder. But that's not what the Bible instructs us on here this morning. I, I think we'll be both encouraged and surprised to what the Word of God will instruct us in this morning. But if there's anything that we take away from this morning, remember this, friends, there is hope for the downcast soul, the soul who is longing, the soul that is that is desirous of seeing something change, something different. There's hope for you. So let's look now at this condition of the downcast soul. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welch pastor who was the minister of Westminster Chapel in London for almost 30 years in this last century. Uh, He wrote a book, he wrote many books and and commentaries. Um, One of the books that he wrote was called Spiritual Depression, where he writes this about Psalm 42 and 43. When we observe this Psalm, we are observing an individual who is wrestling deeply, not simply with his own unhappiness, but the unhappiness of his soul. Lord jones would continue and say, it is interesting to notice the frequency in which this particular theme, this soul depression is dealt with in the scriptures. And the only conclusion to be drawn from that is that this is a very common condition. It seems to be a condition which afflicts God's people right from the beginning. Where do we see this, you may ask? You may do a quick Word study, uh, pull up the search bar in your Bible and search depression. You know how many hits you're going to get? Zero. Right? This word depression doesn't show up, but it does show up in in different words and themes from being downcast, brokenhearted, troubled, miserable, disparaging, and and mourning. Some biblical examples of this are are David, uh, who was described as troubled and battled deep despair. Elijah, who was discouraged, weary, and afraid. Jonah, who was angry and wanted to run away and then became despondent after God uses him in Nineveh. Job, in his suffering, cursed the very day he was born. Moses experienced great grief from and for the people of God. Jeremiah wrestled with great loneliness, feelings of defeat and insecurity, and even Christ himself was deeply anguished over what lay before him. Some extra-biblical examples may be favorite preachers of yours. Uh, for me, one of those examples of men who suffered deeply with depression is Charles Spurgeon. Additionally, the, the psalmist, the church planter, and evangelist Charles Wesley And then maybe one of your favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, also battled with this depression of the soul. You may suffer from soul-level depression. These words that we read this morning may hit you in a particular and personal way. You see, because they hit me in a similar way. I personally suffer from bouts of depression um, that come and go in varying degrees based off of the time and season. For me, it was comforting to know that the brothers and sisters who have gone before me faithfully serving the Lord have dealt with some of the same things, the same wrestling, the same soul longing and deep desires to know God and feel God, but have found themselves sometimes wanting. It is right for us who have suffered, do suffer, or will suffer to look at this passage with great hope and expectancy. We would believe that, and we do believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed and is good and is profitable for us, but this passage has particular profitability for those who suffer because at the heart of suffering is longing. It's a longing to get better. It's a longing for something more. It's a longing for relief. And this passage is written in a song format so it's easy for us to, to look at and break down and understand. So we'll look at this in three different ways as it is broken into three different stanzas and verses followed by a chorus at the end of each one. The chorus is the same in verses 5 and 11 and then chapter 43, verse 5. So let's look at that, look at it three ways. First, longing expressed as dryness. Longing expressed as as dryness secondly, longing expressed as drowning, and third, longing expressed as disheartenment. so let's look first here, verses one through five, longing expected ex- expressed as dryness. We'll spend a little more time here through these first five verses because I believe that this dryness is a, is a common expression uh, that people tend to articulate when they talk about their relationship with God and their own longings. When we have conversations with people, they they say, I'm I'm in a a really dry season, and so let's pay particular attention here. The psalmist opens up in verses 1 through 2 with a picture of a deer in desperate search of and physical longing for a flowing stream of water. Notice it's not just any water, that this deer is searching for. It's not a tepid, stagnant pool of water, but a soul-level, flowing water that refreshes. You may be familiar with this water. It's a hot summer day. when You're growing up. You're outside. You're running around. You have exerted every ounce of energy. Your mom had set out a, a glass for you of water, but that was about seven hours ago. It's sitting there on the porch, there's dust, there's grass. Some little insects have crawled in. You pick that cup up and you look at it. It's hot. You could drink it. You don't want to. So you go over to the hose, you crank the hose on and here comes this flowing water out of the hose. You wait 5 seconds because it's hot. And then the cool water comes. And you drink from this flowing water and it refreshes you and your body and keeps you going. We desire this kind of water. This is the the water, this picture of flowing streams of water that this deer pants for. See, the the psalmist compares himself to this deer panting, dehydrated, in search of, uh, in any way, the very thing that will prolong his life. So we know that as human beings, we can go weeks without food. But we can only go about three days without water, and then our body starts shutting down systematically. This is the kind of desperation that the psalmist is communicating here. He is saying here, even in verse 2, that his soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The same way a stagnant pool will not refresh the body, stagnant idols in uh, uh, gods cannot refresh your soul. That's something only the living God can do. But too many times we have gone to these stagnant pools wishing that they would satisfy our souls for a moment. And when they do, we continually come back just for a moment, never being fully refreshed. The psalmist is speaking about the one thing that will refresh his soul, the living God. The psalmist knows much about this living water, this living God. As he writes about the living water prior to this passage in Psalm 23, we hear him say that, that he's led to still waters that will restore his soul. In Psalm 36, he says that they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Friends, if you've walked with God for some time, You know that not all moments are filled with still waters and abundance of delight. You have felt this longing. Many days like this are dry. The Christian knows this thirst. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, captured this well when he said, None but the spiritual man can sympathize with this type of thirst. For the living God. Because he lives and gives to men the living water, therefore we with great eagerness desire him. A dead God is mere mockery. We loathe such a monstrous deity. But the ever-living God, the perennial fountain of life and light and love, is our soul's desire. What are gold, honor, pleasure, but dead idols? May we never pant for these. For the Christian, there is a real thirst for God because nothing else will ever satisfy us like God can satisfy us. We have tried. And nothing will satisfy our souls like the living God. Maybe you haven't felt this feeling, this thirst for God in a long time. And maybe you've forgotten what that thirst really is. Sometimes we we call this, like we said, a dry season where everything feels weary and stale and flat and unprofitable. When you're not getting joy out of these things that you normally would go to and receive joy from. Your Bible reading is stagnant. Worship services feel flat. Community feels like a burden. These feelings come very naturally to the spiritually depressed. We imagine that the, the cause of this Right? When we're trying to find the, the issue, the, the cause of this might be physical or emotional or psychological, but rarely do we ever attribute this kind of depression to a spiritual issue, a soul issue. In many ways, we want to believe this ontological argument of monism or physicalism, where we don't consider the fact that we are dualistic in. Who we are. We are both body and soul. And just like your body needs to be cared for, fed, and rested, so too your soul needs to be cared for, fed, and rested. And we see in verse 3 that this now has a fitness, physically manifesting itself in the psalmist. It says, My tears have been my food day and night, he has stopped eating. He is dejected. He is removed away from from the things that would even give him physical nourishment. And then in verse 4, he starts recalling the things and the moments where he was once happy. He starts talking to himself in a way. He's like almost saying here, hey soul, remember... Right? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throngs and leave them in procession. Here, Remember all of the experiences we once had when our heart felt so close to God. He's confessing his soul, his desire. He's looking at this in a moment of self-reflection and want. Many people do this. They, they confess with their, with their mouth um, and their emotions just what is happening Uh, with them and inside of them. It's usually accompanied by a pint of Ben and Jerry's and like Netflix. And and those are sweet moments. But what we want to be able to see here is that, that this confession is pouring out of the psalmist. He's remembering the good times and desiring of God to do those things in his life once more. And so he asks his soul here in verse 5, Why are you downcast? Why is there such turmoil within me? Don't you know? Don't you remember? But sometimes this dryness can intensify. And so the psalmist in the next verse expresses this in the feeling of drowning. So we'll look at the longing expressed as drowning, verses 6 through 11. This drowning in a sea of confusion and thoughts. See, the psalmist does try to remind himself of God's goodness to keep himself afloat. He he recalls here in in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from Himron and from Mount Mazir. Christopher Love explains verse 6 like this, It's remarkable what course, he says, the psalmist took to regain comfort. He would remember three experiments of his goodness. The land of Jordan, the land of the Hemronites, and the hill of Mazir. First, he would remember that in the land of Jordan that it is the great goodness of God to dry up the river of Jordan so that the tribes of Israel may pass over it into the promised land. And then he would remember the land of the Hemronites that the land where, where Shehan, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, were defeated. As we would read in Joshua 12, it would say this, that now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote and possessed their land on the other side of the Jordan towards the rising sun from the, from the river Anron to the Mount of Hermon. Mazir. Some would think to be a little hill near Mount Sinai where the law was given. It would remember God's goodness in giving of the law to his people. So here David would recall into remembrance the goodness of God of old to regain him comfort and quietness in his mind. The psalmist is fighting to remember God, to remember his faithfulness in years of old. We we do not do this well. We we are very uh, quick to forget, are we not, God's faithfulness. We want things now and repeatedly and immediately. We need to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in years of old to encourage our hearts of today. But even in this remembrance, verse 7 speaks to the spiritual depression and now it is becoming crushing for the psalmist. He says this in verse 7, as deep calls to deep. He's saying basically, I'm being overwhelmed. You, my God, are the only one able to reach down into the depths in which I plunge and pull me out. I have gone so far down. And here there's a picture and a, and a reference to Jonah in Jonah 2 2, where Jonah is crying out to God from the belly of the whale which, by the way, recently happened. Dude got swallowed by a whale. What? Yeah, okay, Google it. It's fantastic. Anyway, In like New England. It's wild. Um, but he's saying basically here, who can rescue a man and who is imprisoned in the cell in the confinement of a whale who dives deep down into the ocean only the one who commands the whale? This feeling of being trapped and crushed, though, is described here in the deafening sound of a waterfall and the crushing, disorienting power of breakers and waves. Stand close to a waterfall and try to have an intimate conversation with somebody. And it's not going to happen. It's loud. It is deafening. And as someone who has felt the, the weight and the noise of spiritual depression, you can literally have a a quiet room and everything is, is shouting in your head. The feelings of anxiety can be so loud that you can't think straight. And it's hard to get back on track. This is why he continues with another illustration. He says, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I don't know if any of you have surfed before. It's a fascinating experience. I might recommend it. Or if maybe you've been in like a wave pool, right? Either one of these illustrations would work. But if you've ever fallen off of your surfboard or being caught up in a wave pool and you've been tumbled and tumbled and tumbled, there's a moment underneath the water where you've got to figure out, because your breath is leaving you, which way is up. Especially in the ocean where the water is not clear and it's salty. Opening your eyes to figure that out, it's it's nearly hopeless because all of the water is being mixed together and churned. Many times when surfers drown, it's not because they got knocked out by their surfboards and drowned that way, it's because they could not figure out which way was up. They end up swimming down and running out of air and dying. This happens consistently and constantly. It's a a dangerous thing even in wave pools for people to experience. We need something to reorient ourselves when we are being tumbled over and over again by this spiritual depression and life and accusations. We need something, which is why in verse 8 he gives us this thing, by the day the Lord commands a steadfast love. I've been washed over. The breakers and the waves have gone over me. But by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. God sends his steadfast love to me. He commands it. right By the day and by night his song is with me. A prayer to my God. I say to my rock, he has something to hold on to. And even this picture here of of by day and by night brings about and and, and results in this feeling, at least for me, of of remembering Israel when they're leaving Egypt. And God commands a cloud by day and fire by night to be their path, to be the the thing that would guide them and point them to where God would have them. It is a reorienting thing that we need as we're in these moments to be reoriented to our rock and our salvation. And so here in verse 11, he says this again, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for he is my salvation and my God. And those things, as they are happening, as he is hoping, we would hope would end, but there is yet one more aspect to this longing. It is a longing expressed as disheartenment Because there are not just the internal circumstances, but the external circumstances as well. The psalmist is now expressing how his soul is disheartened because he himself is being misrepresented by others. He's asking God, he's saying, Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. If this were David, we could understand what is happening here. Is he is being chased out of Jerusalem into the wilderness by his own son, Absalom, who is accusing him and vilifying him to the other people. There were accusations arising. You see, people can become very opportunistic when people are down. Uh, Blame is made. Accusations can come and happen. So the psalmist is asking God, I can't defend me. You have to defend me. God, show up and prove that what they're saying isn't true. This is why he is begging here in verse 3 for God to send his light and truth to lead him. Light because the situation itself is dark Truth because there are lies swirling all around him. Light and truth will lead you to God's holy hill because light and truth will take you into the presence of God because God is light and truth. All that is true is found in him. And in verse 4, he says this, then I will go as a result I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise Him with the lyre, O God, my God. He rejoices. His desire, as we have seen through the refrains at the end of each one of these stanzas, is this, I will praise God again. I will praise God again, because He is my salvation and my God. So what do we see here? What encouragements can we find for the downcast soul, the dry soul, the drowning soul, the disheartened soul? How does the Bible inform us to seek treatment, if you will, for our condition? Three things. First, pour out your soul. Pour out your soul. Get in touch with what's happening in your heart, in your mind. Get in touch with what you're feeling. Throughout this psalm, we see the psalmist confess some heart-level things. We see him admit his thirst and need for God. We see him admit his doubts that God is even there. We see him say to God, It feels like you're not here. I know you're here, but it sure feels like you're not. He names it. He writes it down. So many times, as we, uh, if you if you battle through some spiritual depression and anxiety, the, the noise gets so loud. Again, like like this waterfall, can get so loud and and seems so overwhelming. When in fact, what we need to do to quiet our mind and quiet our heart is to name the things, write them down, confess the things, look at it, observe what the doubts are, observe where we're where we're needing God. Write these things down. Confess these things. Put them out there. Pour out your soul. It's also good to do this in community. To pour out your soul to a friend and a brother who will love you or a sister who will love you well. Secondly, self-dialogue. Talk to your soul. Talk to your soul. The chorus, verses 5, 11, and 5, are all the psalmists talking to his soul, instructing his soul, I know for me, when depression hits heavy, there is an inordinate amount of self-talk. Like, I'm letting my brain just kind of go and go and go. I'm sitting with my thoughts all the day long. But um, Dr. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in his book, and I'll read this excerpt from Spiritual Depression. He says this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moments when you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and before. Somebody is talking here. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he is starting to talk to himself. Why art thou downcast, O my soul? He asked. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up to his soul and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in this matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why are you cast down? What business do you have to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who is God? And what God is? And what God has done? And what God has pledged himself to do? Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy the accusers, defy the devil and all of the world that would say to this man, And this man would say, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who he is also the health of my countenance and my God. This is not a pick yourself up from the bootstraps kind of situation. This is not a keep your chin up and push through it It's not a kind of neglect of the real issues that are going on. But as you are speaking to your soul, you need to remind your soul and remember the faithfulness of God. Admittedly, as Westerns, we don't do this well. Right? We don't do well at remembering. This is why God in the Old Testament established times and seasons and festivals and rhythms of years to remind the people of God Because we're so quickly to forget, to remind the people of God of His faithfulness, His love for them, His provision for them. The hope that they have in Him. We need to be reminded of this in our minds, our bodies, and yes, even in our souls. And third and finally, reorder your hopes. Hope in God. Find your false hopes where you are placing your actual hope. Is it in success or job or acceptance? Is it in what you do instead of who you are? Preach the grace of God to yourself. It's sufficient enough for God to preach to you, so you should remind yourself of that. Tim Keller would say, as Christians, we need to remember Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. What are these benefits? Think about this. Think about your justification. Your guilt is removed. Your sanctification. The fact that you are not stuck where you are, but you can change. Remember your adoption, that God loves you as his son and daughter. That you have everything that is his. Remember your future resurrection. So do not be afraid of aging or dying. Remember the love of God. Have confidence in this life. Hope in God because soon you will praise him again. Look to Jesus, brothers and sisters. Look to Jesus. He really experienced what Psalm 42 and 43 is even alluding to. He experienced the real thirst for God, a cosmic thirst for God when he was separated from God on the cross. He experienced real enemies taunting him, saying, where is your God? Let's see if he will come. Have him take you down off this cross. And he experienced the true separation from God when he said in his final words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? God treated him as thus, and punished him so that we could receive all his benefits of never being separated from God again, never being left, so that we can go to him, our rock and our salvation. Christ did this so God wouldn't give up on you. So you can walk in confidence, knowing that when you experience soul-level depression and dryness and drowning and disheartenment, it is because ultimately your salvation will be found in God and you will sing his praises again. And you can have confidence in that. If you know that and believe that, even when it is dark, even when the waves are crushing, you can believe that because Jesus has bought that for you. He has suffered for you and he is resurrected again for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, merciful, holy, God, may we not forget all the benefits that we have in Christ. So remind us, Father, remind us, Christ, remind us, Holy Spirit, of your goodness and your faithfulness to your people. That we, when we find ourselves and we are experiencing dryness and drowning and disheartenment. These moments of the soul that you are God and you are our salvation. You are our rock, our refuge, that we can find our rest truly in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.